0: The Dangerous Twisted Mystery Podcast. Less cozy. More ugly. Warping listeners' minds since 2022. Music by Dangerous. Narrated by Twisted. Chapter 58. Roadwork. Wagner looked around her surroundings and wondered what kind of hick-human experience led someone to fit into this place. The stout bartender spit-shined silverware that looked like it was Civil War era and peered over the taps at his only customer that afternoon. Little did he or she know that business was about to pick up. Wagner had tracked Darcy to a mini-mart 20 miles north, where she'd switched onto a two-lane freeway leading to the high-valley towns of Blake and Hammett. The trail dead-ended there. She hadn't made it to either town. Wagner had spent the better part of the afternoon canvassing both areas. It took approximately 20 minutes for each. There wasn't much to see. After four gas stations, a Taco Bell, and a series of convenience stores that sold live bait, Wagner had decided to retrace her steps. In doing so, she came across a small service road with a sign for Burley's Logger Lodge. It came with an arrow, so she followed. The highway she'd pulled off of connected with Interstate 70, 50 miles further up the road. If Darcy's destination hadn't been along the two-lane highway, it would have been much smarter to stay on the larger road than cut over the mountains. Six lanes gave much better odds of getting a ride, and Wagner was willing to bet that Darcy knew the practical math of hitchhiking much better than any story problem she might have come across in a math class. She'd come a long way. Bump. Wagner came back to reality in time to dodge a branch that swept across the single lane. The lodgepole pines were soldiers lining the road encroaching right up to the sides of the car with their branches. She pulled into the clearing that stood adjacent to Burley's. The dark cabin was deserted. Wagner bypassed the bartender and decided to sit at a table and collect her thoughts before ordering. She stared at the barman, waiting for him to look up and come over. He did neither. She became inexplicably anxious, taking out some of her frustration on the mountain man. Can I get some service? Waitress quit, ordered the bar. If he'd looked up during the disposal of the law of the land, Wagner missed it. She couldn't believe it. She'd been so close to catching up to Darcy, and now she was taking shit from some backwater buffoon who didn't properly maintain his service road. The temperature around her face rose suddenly, and she abandoned the idea of being rational. She just needed a win. I'll wait. For what? For you to hire a new waitress. He looked up, and after a pause, the room filled with a rumbling laugh that rolled in his throat, like a bowling ball looking for pins. He said nothing, but with a good-natured wink, he picked up a pad and waddled towards the end of the bar. I haven't been on the floor to serve a customer in fifteen years, lady, but I've been told I have bad habits. "'so I might as well break one of them with you.' "'He swung his frame around the corner of the bar "'and found quite an astonishing thing. "'He didn't fit through the narrow gap.' "'He shrugged. "'Wagner approached the bar. "'Give me a Diet Coke.' "'Hell of a thing,' the bartender said, still looking at the gap. "'His eyes swung across to Wagner's face. "'I'll get you a light beer.' "'He popped the top and continued before she could complain. "'See if you pass the cigarette test.' He offered her one from an open pack. People who stumble into this place looking like you are either artists looking for solitude or cops looking for trouble. Take the cigarette. You're an artist. Leave it. You're a cop. Wagner smiled and pulled one out. The bartender's skull blazed lighter quickly flicked into action. Why can't I be a smoking cop? The smoke filled her lungs, draining the bright ember tip quickly down the paper wrapping. You are... "'An artist rarely has a weapon slung in a shoulder belt. "'Saw that when you reached for the pack.' "'The fat man had his charm, and also perspicacious bent. "'Certainly a product of years of rowdy crowds, "'knowing when a fight was about to break out on the floor. "'His eyes gleamed, then flitted to the entrance. "'I think I just spotted the trouble that you're looking for.' "'Wagner followed the bartender's eyes to the door, "'where a visibly grungy, worn-out girl entered the bar.' It was immediate and unmistakable. Wagner had been looking at that face for the past week. Darcy. Burly bear, Darcy lit up seeing the bartender. The combined weight of the road, her trip, and the pack on her back dissolved into the shadows of the dreary room, and it was like the sun shone just under the gleaming layer of her skin. She leaned over the bar and let her cheek sink deep into the upper roll of fat between the bartender's ribcage, pressed close to his heart. I thought you were gone for good, he grumbled. How's Mac? Burley looked at Wagner. The police are looking for you. Wagner coughed, sputtering. Darcy chided him. Why would you say a silly thing like that? Before Burley could answer, Wagner cut in razor sharp. Because I'm a federal agent, and I think you have answers to my questions. She looked her steadily in the eyes as defiance welled up. Wagner didn't have time for games. She needed to cut through the role-playing before it started. What would Legacy say about now to cut the legs out from under her? She went through a mental checklist that Legacy said he used as an unconscious algorithm whenever he was put in front of an interrogatee. Since she herself wasn't a freak of nature, Wagner would have to go a more deliberate route, checking off the list best as she could remember. Was there a sign of weakness that presented itself in the appearance of the person being questioned, some affectation of behavior or style of dress? In this case, Wagner could see the piercings like pockmarks, all contained fake gems as decorations. Her rebellion included the need to be noticed. Her clothes were tight. The outline of her demi-bra drew attention to her chest, the same with her panty lines. She was afraid of being lost in a crowd and would go to an extreme length to get all eyes on her. Next question. Did the person exhibit strength or weakness before the interrogator identified himself? She had run into the bartender's arms dismissing Wagner as a woman, a trivial part of the scene. That spoke volumes about her view on her own importance, and her need to feel protected and secure. Ignoring something is always the weakest reaction, but that is not to say that confronting it is always the strongest. There are many parts of the mind that become engaged the minute a problem is taken on. The fear of engaging the parts that solve a problem is the embodiment of weakness." Last question, before a word is spoken. Does the person want to be treated with respect? It was a simple yes or no question. Based on all the intangibles collected and analyzed from answering the first two questions, Wagner answered with authority. No. Her cigarette had burned down a quarter inch. Burley and Darcy were looking at her in a reluctant anticipation of what was coming next. By the looks of them, she hadn't said anything in about a minute. Her disconnect had put them on the defensive, and the advantage was clearly hers before she opened her mouth. Oh God, was this how Legacy operated? She felt fresh blood rush to her cheeks. No time for her own weaknesses. She jumped in with the urgency of pursuing an advantage that could be lost at any moment. You can save an important life. Be remembered for something other than being a slut. Wagner layered her voice with a kind of cruelty that she could tell Darcy had come to expect. Darcy's eyes registered nothing. Burley rose to her defense. Hey, now. He slapped his hand down on the bar, and Darcy turned to him like a savior. Let's not make this... Ah! Wagner planted her thumb in between the knuckles of Burley's middle finger and ring finger, pressing through the flesh and feeling the wooden bar below. Burley's arm went numb an instant after the pain shot through the muscular flab that looked like it had been held together by a patchwork of disconnected tattoos. He pulled his hand back and was rewarded by pins and needles that stung his fingertips and enveloped his arm. Damn! Damn! Wagner's face softened into a heartfelt look of concern, turning back to Darcy. Wagner slipped a hand around the teen's waist and led her away from the bar. The confrontation could have gone either way. It could have been a disaster, but in the aftermath, Darcy was more isolated than ever. Wagner led her over to her table without a word and pulled out a chair. Darcy sat like one condemned, and she felt her power slip away, helpless as she was in the past. Wagner tried to reassure her with a smile. It could have worked on most people. However, in Darcy's life, evil always presented itself with a smile. Chapter fifty nine. Last Ditch. Creek, creak, creak, creak. The obsessive repetition of jumping jacks had put a spring into the boards under Laura's feet. Creek, creak, creak. She had to keep in shape. She had to have something in her life that listened to her commands and did exactly what she wanted. Her legs and arms still obeyed, and that meant she still had something left inside her that listened. She was petrified of the way Blue had been conditioning her mind, scared that she would tell her legs to do something, and they would be unwilling without the permission of her captor at some crucial time. And that crucial time was approaching fast. The indoctrination went so deep that she feared that it would take a drill to the base of her spine to drain his will from her. She was divided against herself in every thought of rebellion or revenge. Even her dreams of killing him lacked satisfaction, She'd wake up sobbing, screaming, No! Her limbs shook like his death took away the chaos control that kept her moving onward in all directions and breaking apart. Disgust flooded through her and pushed her body erect. Then she'd start doing jumping jacks, always in the same place. She carefully stepped off paces from the far sidewalls before beginning. The exercise continued until her muscles no longer listened to her mind. She loved those last moments when it was clear she had no control. It made her feel like there was a point at which everyone's boundaries are the same. Creek, creak, creak. Tonight was special. Laura heard the motorcycle engines roar into life. She'd heard Blue giving them permission to take a break after the session. This was her chance. She watched the boards flex below her feet. She'd chosen the location of her exercise routine carefully after studying the position of the support studs through the peephole in the ground. This was strategically the weakest area of the floor. The sun would go down soon, and she would put this circle of hell behind her. The finality of her next thought reverberated in her mind. There was no going back. Freedom or death were the only acceptable terms. She'd already surrendered too much. Blue watched the video screen in the mirror between peeling off his mask and splashing his face with icy cold water that ran throughout the compound keeping the memory of the last winter in every drop. He wasn't looking forward to the shower that would close his pores and leave his body shaking under a downpour of the same icy temperature. His doctor had told him that the stiffness in his arms and back could be worked out with improved circulation. His skin, clammy and red from being encased in the blue plastic wrapper, would soon be cold as marble. He stepped into the shower. He needed to be alert, with all his faculties ready to experience what came next. The men left only moments before, and what they didn't know is that they'd never see him again. Blade had complete access codes to the accounts, and he didn't need anything from this shithole, so packing up would be quick. All that was left was the pleasure of keeping his appointment with Laura. An hour with Laura. The disappointment of losing two men and his last victim evaporated in the intoxicating pleasure of thinking about his last hour with Laura. The water hit his skin and his lungs filled. He screamed like acid was pouring over him. The pain was all-consuming as blood rushed into areas that were practically dry of all life moments before. His chalk-white flesh went crimson. He would have the shakes for ten, maybe fifteen minutes. Then he would be in full control again. The medicine of the fresh blood felt like poison as he dried his skin and doused himself with a specially medicated powder, finishing with a steroid cream. The disease was getting worse, these showers were getting more painful, and the rebound time was shortening. One of his jagged nails came free of his towel and jerked across his chest. Like two pages of old yellow paper curling back separating, the skin parted. He began to bleed. He looked into his hollow eyes and saw sunken geriatric tissue around his 30-year-old eye sockets. He lit a cigarette, his hands still shaking, and the flame danced inches in front of his nose. He watched the mirror closely. Blade had to wait until the eye batted down before he did anything, even if he felt like the shakes had passed. His feelings on the matter were unreliable. The blink response signified that his condition was coming back to normal. The unconscious action was the most trustworthy indicator of regaining control. Blade watched his face like he was watching a clock. Soon, he would get to see the face of his true love, the face of the tortured, the face of the damned. Legacy got back into his sedan, watching the dashboard clock with a sour look on his face. The blinking centerpiece that had always provided constancy and stability was now his betrayer. They had entered the county government offices with a list of criteria that Legacy thought necessary for the kind of operation Blue was running. They came out with a list of three addresses, one of which was 60 miles away and only accessible by a hiking trail. He secretly doubted that this was the place he was looking for, because although it fit the minimum criteria, it seemed highly unlikely that they would hike hostages back and forth from the property to the access road. Legacy knew the location would have several outbuildings, along with a main residence. These were men of appetite and anger. They couldn't live like the Waltons stacked on top of one another and maintain peace. Blade would have chosen the place for seclusion. There would be little chance that someone would happen upon it hiking in the woods. Finally, all of the girls described direct sunlight on their walks back and forth to the sessions. They couldn't see it through their heavy canvas masks, but they felt intense sun on their exposed arms and legs. Legacy was taking a risk, but he believed the compound was on or near the top of one of the mountains that rose up like sentinels out of the valley. Three properties matched the criteria, and they were headed towards one now. Agent Brent checked his weapon a second time, even though he knew that the maintenance was perfect. He snapped the magazine into position, then went to his ankle holster and checked out the twenty two that was inside. Tree limbs reached across the cracked asphalt that wound like a snake up towards a set of buildings. The skittering complaints of pine needles across the top of the sedan were a reminder that not many cars had passed along this road. The switchbacks only gave legacy flashes of their destination before dipping back into the trees. He knew the further they drove, the greater the risk of being spotted, but he was counting on the fact that the session was about to begin. The men should be busy doing other things. Brent turned to him a couple of times, with what he guessed was a warning, but each time he shook his head, and like an etch sketch he cleared out the opinions and left thinking to Legacy. Legacy could sense Brent was waiting to take charge of the ground operation. He'd never seen Legacy in action, so he had no idea that the skills he left on the field almost ten years ago were good enough to be distinguished among the elite military operatives in the nation. This was not a guy who needed his hand held, but Brent would find that out in his own time. They were a mile away from the main building cluster when Legacy pulled the car to the side of the road and they got out. He said only, Keep up, and began to charge through the woods upward, zigzagging through the trees. He kept the fading sun at a perpendicular angle to keep their shadows mixing into the trees and avoid long silhouettes approaching the main house. He reached the clearing and saw a glint of metal from behind one of the tinted windows. Definitely movement. Someone was inside. The property management company had stated that there hadn't been a tenant in three years. Either the old tenants were really taking their time moving out, or new tenants occupied this place. It's them, Brent huffed in Legacy's ear. He hadn't realized that his pace would have pushed the youngster. Brent must have seen the amusement in Legacy's expression and offered defensively. The jacket and armaments I carry weigh a ton. Sure you're ready? Brent wasn't ready for the aggressive, flash-powder style of military engagement. In the FBI, most situations of conflict contain no armed enemy and no resistance to the call, Federal agent! He was about to explain this to Legacy when he noticed that he had already pushed off silently from his perch at the edge of the trees and made it halfway across the open clearing. Legacy knew something that Agent Brent did not, he knew that the leader of the men was not a criminal. He was the modern version of Grendel. Blade had turned his very personal flaws into a war against everyone who was to blame. And since there was no one, and nothing other than perhaps his own flawed chemistry to blame, everyone was fair game. The game had an intricate set of rules in Blade's mind. Although he saved his most involved theatrics for the women whose natural understanding of sexuality mocked his unmatched intellect... Even though torture had complicated rules and procedures, he would kill a man with neither fore or afterthought. Legacy kept moving across the field, up the slope to the wooden door in front of him. Hesitation was the unseen participant in every operation, sometimes friend, sometimes foe. They were not going in with the intention of arrest. They were a lightning strike before the thunder could announce their presence. Blade would draw first blood if he had a chance. Legacy was sure of it. He braced his body, lowering his shoulder into the weathered, hollow core wooden door still decorated for Christmas. Remnants of a velour bow and the skeleton of a wreath made a bullseye in the center of the door. Legacy knew exactly what kind of sound it would make when he hit. Unfortunately, he had no idea what was on the other side. Chapter 60. Retribution Run Blade heard the crack of wood. He stood, half-painted, dribbling excess royal blue down a puce-mesh drain. He dropped the metal paint sprayer, and his feet were in motion with a speed that had him at the door frame by the time the nozzle hit the tile. He ran towards the sound. Metal flashed as long, thin knives appeared effortlessly, drawn from two hidden hip straps that his hands brushed past as an extension of this running motion. The deep twilight lent a mixture of rich red and burnt orange to the sky. Instead of concern, a sudden euphoria filled his body. He tuned out everything in the world and concentrated on his favorite thing, punishment. Blade, or blue, or half-blue in this case, the diagonal stripe that went across his torso also cut his face into uneven quadrants, ranging from fully painted to thickly splattered, had a long loping gait, that along with the flapping pieces of blue skin made him look like a zombie. He burst into the room where the sound emanated and took in the situation in an instant. There was a hole in the trailer floor, and Laura's bed was propped up against the wall. Blade moved to bend over the hole drawn by a speckle of blood on one of the sharp splinters wickedly sticking up along the edge. His neck snapped towards the bed as it towered over him. She must have used it as a ladder, then come down with all of her force on... Something was wrong. The smell of blood. It wasn't the stain he smelled, there was more. The warning alarm sounded in his head, and he backpedaled slightly from the hole. The bed leaned away from the wall. He scrambled backwards, staring up at the frame, and traced an arc that he could tell he could not escape from in time. Crash. The metal bar slammed into his shoulder. The leverage had come from the floor. If he'd remained at the hole, he would have had a broken neck but he only had a dislocated shoulder to thank Laura for. How could he ever repay her for the intense pain? Blade gritted out a smile through the agony of pushing his shoulder back into place. He'd think of something. He looked up and saw her bloodied arm poised to strike him again. He pointed the tip of a knife up through the spring frame, daring her to bring her flesh anywhere near his freakish dexterity. There was nowhere for her to go. The exit was within reach of her deadly captor. Blade relished her indecision. What a bad girl you've been, he said in a saccharine-rich tone. His wounded arm began to shake uncontrollably. It was a betrayal. Poor thing, Laura spat back. Blade turned furious in an instant. I've known who you are from the start. In a slow animal growl. Yet there's part of you that wants to apologize and throw yourself on my mercy even now. You have no mercy, she said, walking slowly towards him, making your response perplexing. You stupid whore. He returned to his natural voice, demeaning and decisive. Laura's eyes were in a trance as she stepped forward uncertainly, almost within Blade's grasp. She reached down and picked up his lighter and flipped it over in her hand. She held it out as if she were returning it. Then Laura changed direction suddenly by vaulting backward off the spring frame, She disappeared through the hole in the floor. The force of her lunge spread through the frame and reminded Blade of his wound. The white flash of pain filled his eyes. It was a kind of pain that should have been followed by a blackout. But Blade resisted the darkness regardless of the consequences. He wanted to feel the pain mixed into her pain. The thought of the sadistic cocktail was enough to keep his eyes from rolling back into his head. Blade wedged his good arm beneath the frame and it slid off his body. A few deep breaths, and he struggled to his feet. He checked his watch with a grunt as his shoulder socket turned outward. It was bent backward at a thirty-degree angle, and glancing down, it was now pushed to the periphery. Ten minutes until broadcast. He might be late. That was unacceptable, but he was beginning to entertain the grotesque possibility. That bitch would pay for this he would cut tears of blood into her beautiful, rosy cheeks. Laura landed softly on the pile of blankets she'd thrown down the hole under the trailer right after breaking through the wooden floor, just before setting her trap. She knew that she'd need them in case everything did not go well, and she took careful precaution to wrap her hands in the spandex roller girl waitress costume that had been freshly supplied for her next appearance before picking up the stack. Noises above her, the metal rattling and shifting... The injury she had inflicted upon Blade would keep a normal man incapacitated for at least ten minutes. Creek She knew that she had only seconds. Laura broke from the sanctuary of the undercarriage of the trailer. There were four equally ominous directions of the compass dial that could be followed. In the gloom of an ever-deepening darkness, she was only sure of one thing. The high ground was to her left. A slow-motion escape had been her plan from the very beginning— Get out of the madhouse, then sit tight until the element of luck was out of the equation. A couple of days of watching, planning, would cement her escape. She'd learned their habits, the ins and outs of the operation, and she wouldn't stop until the odds of her escape were all stacked in her favor, not theirs. She'd be in control this time. She needed that so much that it hit the override button on the inner need for a straight downhill plunge that might lead to a road or outcropping of houses in the valley below. Her salvation certainly didn't lie on the trail upwards, but it was the safest play. She raced past the flagpole, crouching low, giving less of a profile for the outside porch lights of the buildings to catch and magnify. She could hear the dogs yapping far away. Someone was approaching their kennel, she thought, and she knew exactly who it was. At the edge of the clearing, she plunged into the brush. Twigs cut at her carefully styled hair. Branches ignited the fire that was the large open wound on her arm. She'd gotten it plunging through the trailer floor, and the bleeding would be the first priority when she found a place to stop. She'd have to choose a location carefully. Suddenly, with a tremendous clap, the spot was chosen. She would stop right here. Pain crashed over her body in asymmetrical waves. A shrill, abbreviated scream escaped her lips before she could remind herself that any noise above a whisper was suicide. Laura looked down at the instrument that had abruptly stopped her progress. It was a grisly steel-toothed trap, grinning up at her like a ravenous mechanical beast. The teeth were grinding into her bone just above the knee. She pulled at the jaws, forcing them beyond the puncture wound only to have a fresh wave of pain flood into her arms, causing them to shake and lose their grip. Snap. It bit a second time, razor teeth lining up along the same marks as before. Laura had never felt pain like that before in her life. Not when she'd broken her collarbone skiing. Not when her brother pushed her back through the shower door and she landed on a thousand pins of broken glass. Not even more recently. There was nothing to compare to the sensitivity of raw nerves re-engaged. In fact, Laura thought she was going crazy, because the very act of breathing seemed to make the white-hot sensation burst into flame. She had medical training, only in field dressing and first aid. It would have taken a trained specialist to notice that the offset in the steel jaws had caused the most painful kind of break. The concussion on two different sides of the thick femur bone near the socket had caused competing fractures which traveled down the middle of the bone, then down the marrow, to meet. Every articulation of the knee joint was a fresh stab into the wound, every vibration that traveled through the marrow stimulating the most sensitive pain centers in the body. A noise, a voice below. Blade was urging his dogs to find her. The percussive commands, "Go! Get her! Find her, girls!" Her hands grabbed at the steel in a panic search for leverage and she pried the trap open enough for her to twist her bloody knee out and draw it close to her body. There was a sickly smell that mixed with the blood, an oily musk smell. Was she being drugged, too? She should have known that Blade would have trapped the wood surrounding the compound. If there was something on the razor jaws of the trap, it would be deadly. Waiting for the grip of death would have been almost a luxury at that point for Laura. She thought about the soft fingers that would massage her into a semi-conscious daze before turning out the lights. There might be moments of peace mixed in there somewhere, and that kicked her into motion. Death could be enjoyed from any position in this shrinking world of freedom that she'd thrust herself into when she'd kicked out that panel in the floor. She'd like to at least have a view. She had to move. Her position had been given away. The details of her climb away from the trap up through the brush would never come back to her. She was lucky, she thought much later, because it must have been pure fear that dragged her two, three hundred yards up the slope. Fear of what was behind her moving relentlessly coming through the darkness with a predator's sense of mercy. The jingle of collars and the yapping of dogs were approaching on the trail behind her, but what she feared was human, or at least human in form. Laura took the lighter out, turning it upside down to bathe the cap with flame. She pressed it into the flesh on her arm. The wound closed without sensation. Her body barely noticed the pinprick inconvenience. She heard the loud yapping below. They'd stopped, for some reason, at the traps. They were waiting for their master. That gave her precious moments. Would she have time? She took the blanket that was covering her shoulders, and then set it out within the hollow recess of the long-needled evergreen. The crunching steps of blade approached below. His anger seethed in a grumbling, indistinct gnash of vowels and consonants, which she was sure was some brutal old-world incantation that would have frozen her heart if she could have made them out over the night sounds. She repeated the process with the lighter. She pressed the metal cap against her bloody knee, grinding it into the interior of the burbling wound. That’s where she’d find the lighter when she woke up. Her heart thundered. It was too much. She felt like she could see the darkness gather in the deep shadows, then bleed along the ground until it entered her pupils. Barking noises, rattling chains became a background static to the inner clatter of her mind as it floated into unconsciousness. She was a brave girl. That's what they'd say when they found her. A brave, dead girl. Blade stumbled into the main cabin, the place that used to be the administration building, nearly a half hour later. He picked up the phone and dialed. The time it took for the call to connect was unacceptable. He was already off schedule. FBI! The call rang from the rotting rafters of the A-frame building. The high ceilings plunged quickly along the sharp diagonal lines to meet gaping bay windows. They were entering what used to be the main lobby. Many cabin resorts were built like this in the 70s. It was a model for what the old IHOP restaurants used. The sturdy frame of this building had withstood a lot of neglect. And in a climate such as this, neglect works almost as quickly as a coordinated wrecking crew. Legacy was through the sturdy door first. Legacy tumbled through the door, turning his deflected momentum into a graceful roll. He felt the texture of a thin, gummy carpet as he pushed himself to a crouched position. He knew it was the wrong place immediately. The lobby was filled with people, and the people all had magnificent quaffs, with some combination of dirt or braid, dreadlocks or rainbow-colored hair. The grungy couches met equally decrepit clothing and formed a mesh of upholstery and human. It was difficult to say where one stopped and the other began. Legacy put away his gun. He felt almost as surprised as the faces that greeted him. The fact that he was in the field again, drawing his weapon and shouting orders, was as incredible as the shock that, unfortunately, did not wash the faces of the trespassers clean. Brent charged around, questioning people, confirming their error. He wanted to believe that this might be some kind of cover for a complicated operation, but nothing about this place smacked of Blade's obsessive style. Blade wouldn't even walk through this lobby. The Dirty Hippies, or Dippies, and considering the amount of smells that Legacy had been confronted with since entering, he wouldn't mind if the name stuck, had formed a cluster around Legacy. The broad shoulders must have given him away as a representative of authority. They looked at him in a strange kind of combination of fear and anger that teenage protesters have when confronting the man. Was Legacy the man? It certainly looked like that's what they felt he was. It was time to blow their minds. Sorry, folks. We had a tip that Jimi Hendrix was hiding out here. He turned to Brent and shouted, No Jimmy? Brent shrugged, his face... ...registered a confusion that told Legacy that he was too young to even know who Hendricks was... ...or why he was a hero of 90% of the people in this room. Move out. Behind him, a sudden wave of energy passed through the slack jaws and dilated eyes... ...and questions hurled at Legacy as they marched towards the exit. I knew they faked his death! ...was the common thread. Legacy produced a sharp military turn at the door and said... ...I can't comment. ...and then left the building. He was the man... Brent peppered him with nearly as many questions as they double-timed it back to the car. We didn't check the rooms. That could have been a front, couldn't it? The free-spirited crowd did not mix with Blade's bikers, not even as a fence around the operation. It smelled wrong. That was all the explanation Legacy gave to Brent, who jogged alongside him for the next quarter of a mile. They sped away from the resort. Neither man spoke of the fact that Blade was getting closer to killing his next victim with every tick of the clock. Time was not on their side. It was already past five. Laura would be on camera now, her body exposed, and her mind toyed with until her heart stopped beating. The death blow would come at six. They sped down the road. Legacy pushed the accelerator down and it hit fifty, bumping through wheel trenches on uneven dirt roads winding back to the highway. Brent stared forward, jaw locked in frustration but his feelings didn't matter much to the silent wheelman skipping the bottom of the car across uneven terrain like a flat rock across the smooth surface of a pond. A glance over at his passenger opened up a window into his mind. It was the kind of instant appraisal that Legacy was legendary for, and it gave him his answer. He didn't want innocence to pay for his anger. He wanted one very specific person to suffer for his feelings of helplessness. He wanted to take Blade down. Brent himself had become a loaded weapon, and Legacy could tell that he'd better be very careful with whom, or towards what, he directed Brent. He looked like he could go off at any minute. Legacy skidded onto the main road, clipping a gleaming silver pole of chain-lick fence. A bright spark flashed across the passenger side. Brent gave him a look and said in a deadpan tone, "'Good luck getting back your deposit.' Humor was the last thing that Legacy had expected from his companion." The look on Brent's face was rigid, his jaw set like he'd just said something like, Let's kill them all. But behind his eyes, there was a measure of awareness, and that's what made the comment funny. Legacy was quietly reassured. He didn't have the same feeling about their next destination. It either was the compound, and they'd be tight up against the clock, or they'd have missed their chance entirely, following the wrong lead. There'd be no one to blame if they didn't get to Laura, and that worked for Legacy. He didn't want anyone to blame.